do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 645. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Kind of a different show. It might be a little bit shorter than usual, uh, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, at the end of the show, we're going to promote Kathy's audiobook. Woohoo. And we're going to play what? About an 11 minute clip? Of yeah. It? It's basically, we are going to. So, first of all, the title of this podcast is going to be Where It All Began because oh, Todd and I were talking about how. So, first of all, from my publisher, I got a clip from my audiobook and it's the prologue. So it's at the beginning where I explain why I started writing about these things, like even prior to Zen Parenting as a podcast, like where it all began for me personally. And so it's kind of a personal, um, um, it's probably the most personal writing in the book, you okay. know, kind of like my story. Well, the end you get personal too. I do. I, there's more personal. And in the middle you do. Oh, and in so the next chapter. So aside from the beginning, the middle, and the end. There's personal all over the book, but this is kind of a like all in one place. Here's where it all began. And um, so Todd and I decided since we're going to play that part of the audiobook at the end. So once we're done talking, it'll just go right into that part of the audiobook. Um, we thought we'd talk about where we all began. Is that the way to say it? Where we began, not where, as our wedding. Where not, ZPR began. Where ZPR began. Not like Todd and I as a couple, but like where ZPR began, because I've been doing a lot of interviews for this book and everybody asks that question. Yeah. So some of you may have already heard these things, and but some of it might be complete. We might go a completely different direction because there's like a million stories. Right. Right. Yeah. You're looking at me like I'm about I'm, to say something else. I'm thinking else. about what direction I want to go in. Okay. Um, that's all right, as far as where I want to start. But um, we're going to play a clip from the very first show. I know, which is kind of brutal, because well, it was like 11 years ago. I went for a run uh, last Friday, and I decided to listen to it. First time I listened to it probably in 11 years. Uh-huh. And just as a teaser, we sound... Completely the same and different all at the same time. Oh, I can't wait. I have no idea. I, and I do want to say that if this is your first experience with Zen Parenting Radio, this may not be, this may be the perfect show for you, but it's just funny to play a clip of ourselves and then talk about it. It's a very um, narcissistic, which I don't claim to be, but it's like one of those weird things. I don't think it's narcissistic. We're, we're playing a clip of our own show on our own show and talk about that clip. It's like the mirrors that kind of keep going back and into each other. Well, I will um, push back on Please that. Do. I will dance with you on this. Let's dance. The, I'm, I don't want to talk about the clip. I want to talk about where we started with Zen Parenting Radio. I'm talking Radio. about the clips. Yeah. Lady. So I'm not playing it so I can hear my voice. I just thought it would be interesting to hear our first show. Mm -hmm. It's been 11 years, for goodness sake. And what I know for sure is we have so many podcasts that to listen to our first couple of years, you actually have to go to our website. Yes. Because um, iTunes can't carry Only it anymore. Only saves like the first 400 or something like yeah. that. And, and we're so, at 645. Exactly. So it's like, that's what's funny to me too. So I don't want to play it and then dissect you and I. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to go into where this began. And I think if you play the clip first, it might help us with the beginning. Yeah. Start at the beginning. Right. But I need to talk about the Zen Parenting moment. Oh, please. Go first. ahead. So um, one quick thing is Kathy does these end parenting moments every Friday. It's a little essay. The last one she played is called Inevitable. That's what I wrote. What did I say? Played. Oh. 
um, is called Inevitable Mistakes. And she always starts with a quote. I got the glasses and I tried to be real careful as I poured the milk, but I was just too late for it had happened. Something happened and I felt so bad that I cried and cried. Yes, I felt so bad because I really tried. Oops. You made a mistake, that's all. And making mistakes is never, never fun. fun. Just say, uh, it's from Sesame Street. I don't think it is. I think it is, sweetie. I, I don't think it is. It's part of, um, I wrote underneath. I'm almost positive. I, it, may have, it may not have started in Sesame Street, but I'm pretty sure they played it okay. on Sesame you, Street. Okay, that you might be right. It's from the... Um, I'm not going to play it. Hold on. Let me just pull up what it says underneath it because I totally... Did you watch the very beginning where it's from the most important person? Uh, I believe you, but no. yeah, most important person. I'm looking yeah. right at it. Yeah, the most important person. And it was like they had a bunch of videos. Okay. And so, but you might be right. They might have played it on Sesame Street. I just don't remember. But okay. man, did did we see that a bunch of times. And it's a very sad song, but then it gets all upbeat. Well, and you know, this inevitable mistakes um, that what I wrote about was I kind of it was interesting because I thought about it after I sent it out that the oops, I made a mistake is really about young children. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like someone cutting through their, you know, paper wrong or spilling milk. And they seem for parents like to be kind of simple mistakes. Right. Whereas what I wrote about was how a teenage girl had emailed me. This was a year or two ago and basically said, I'm struggling because I'm doing all the things that you said I should do. And I told my mom um, that I'd made this mistake. And my mom now is angry with me and says she won't trust me anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet this girl was doing exactly the right thing, which is, mom, I made this mistake and I need help. So can you help me? And the mom, I totally get why the mom would react in in a frightened disappointed way. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's as parents, fear is often our first feeling, you know, my big, but was for the parents, for all of you listening, or for any of you who read this Zen parenting moment, if we can like take a breath for a second and realize what's happening, our kids are actually coming to us with their mistakes and they are trusting us with this. It's this very vulnerable, uncomfortable, like they're, they're, putting themselves in our hands and saying, I made a mistake and I either need help or I just want you to know, or I want to fix it. And if we turn around and say, now I can't trust you, mm-hmm. then they're not going to come so to us words, anymore. the parent might focus on the act Correct. and not focusing on the willingness to say something uncomfortable exactly. to their parent. Exactly. They, And what's unfortunate is if that happens once or a few times, the kid is going to know I can't come to I can't person. come to my mom or my dad or my my caregiver because they get so mad mm-hmm. they can't help me. Yeah. And I actually get in more trouble yeah. or I get my phone taken away or I do and again I I say in in the writing that there may be a necessary consequence. Sure, it doesn't mean there's no consequences. No, it just means maybe that's next mm-hmm. or maybe that's the next day. Which is I agree with you. And it's hard to do because what our reptilian brain does is it goes into a threat-based mode. Right. And what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my kid? Whatever the mistake is, 
So to your point, the sooner that we can catch ourselves, yes. it might be in that moment, might be in that day, might be in that week, but catch yourself and know that your kid is owning up to something. Yeah, absolutely. Your kid is basically saying, okay, I'm struggling with this thing. Who do I tell? And and why this was important that this girl emailed me is I had been telling her when you're struggling with these things, go to your mom, yeah. like talk to her about these things you're struggling with. And so she did it. And her mom said, I don't trust you. Yeah. So she was like, ha, uh, so what like, what do I do? Teach that kid, yeah. that, what that mom taught her was next time I screw up, I'm not going to come to you. Right. And what do we say? If you ever get in trouble, come to come us. Come to us. And so it's this mixed messaging where, you know, sometimes we do that and then we calm down and the next day we say, okay, I'm yeah. glad you came to me. I overreacted. So there are ways to repair this. Sure. So if you are a parent who has done this, you can repair this. Yeah. You can go to your kid, even if it's been a couple of weeks and say, Hey, I've had some time to contemplate what you told me. And I'm just realizing how grateful I am mm-hmm. that you told me. And my reaction was based in my fear and, and what my concerns. But it's really great that you told me. Or maybe a year later about a Cookie Monster costume. Right. Could be a anything. Cookie Monster story. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's good. And I just, this is my, you know, we used to have tournament of bads. Uh-huh. This is my hot take. Okay, hot take. Do it's you a have new, a sound it's effect? A, it's a new pro. <laughs> I Do you have a, like a fire, like I, a ch- I, I, I don't have that. Um, Todd, you got to be ready with the hot take sound. <laughs> that's, that's my hot take that's sound. That's scary. No, that's Jaws. I got to come up with a hot take okay, sound effect. Yeah. Um, I was just running and I was listening to a podcast called The Rewatchables and they were doing Kramer versus Kramer. Mm, so good. And at the end they were talking about, it's a really sad movie, obviously. Yes. And Bill Simmons said uh, he they brought up the saddest moment of any movie ever. Yeah. Can you think of what it was? It was from- I know, it was from The Champ. It's from The Champ. Yeah. And I was thinking back, I was about to play it, but I'm not going to because no. you might start crying. So I'm not going to do that. But it's a very sad movie. And my parents, who I love, who did the best they could, <laughs> took me there when I was like seven years old. Ricky Schroeds. Ricky Schroeder. And, Schroeder. I just call him Ricky Schroeds. And he's, um, he's an interesting person. It's now. more. Um, it's more just a um, observation uh, that mom, dad, what were you thinking? Like pre-screen that it's not like there's an internet back then, but awful. I I think there's parents still who don't think about, they're just like, let's go to a movie. And there's part of me, can you, will you let me play just a little clip of it or no? Oh boy. Not if it's going to, okay, first of all, it's 1979, John Voight, Faye Dunaway and Ricky Schroeder, as we already said. Um, And, you know, we all know what happens. Can't wake up. Awful. Like, I'm about to cry right now. Well, do you know, it was actually based on an old movie and Jackie Cooper was the kid. Huh. How interesting. Well, I know. Yeah. Um, What was it rated? That's what I wanted to see. That's a great question. I don't know. The Champ, 1979. We didn't really have the same rating system back then. So there's part of me that's like... It's PG. There's part of me that's like, I turned out okay, so it wasn't that damaging. And there's another part of me that's like, I should not have been watching that. So I have no, actually, I have no take. I was going to say I have a hot take. I have no take on it. I don't know if it was a terrible thing my parents did to me or it wasn't that big of a deal. But don't, if if you want to be happy, don't go watch The Champ. That's my hot take, sweetie. Well, I think that it is all relative depending on the kid. I think how you relate to the situation, like talk about 
uh, Kramer versus Kramer, mm-hmm. they were talking, you know, I listened to enough of the podcast. I'm not done with it yet, but they were just talking about all three of them, Bill Simmons and Sean Fennessy and um, Mallory Rubin, that they all come from families of divorce. Yeah. And so watching Kramer versus Kramer, even today still really affects them, you know, and that's why they wanted to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of depends on what's going on in your life. And I think the, probably what was hard is you were the same age as Ricky Schroeder. Probably. And so you're kind of like, what I think as kids, we're all like, how would I handle that? Yeah. You know, like, what would I do? Right. Um, but I don't, your parents didn't know. It was PG. It was PG, right? Yeah, they didn't know. Yeah, what do they do? Yeah. And it's not like, no, I mean, it was a boxing movie, but it's not like there was violence or gunshots or sex. They it couldn't was just, Google it. Just a really sad ending to a, probably a good movie, mm-hmm. but I don't remember the good parts. I just remember the sad part. Right. Um, real quick, Team Zen, it's a virtual community, 25 bucks a month, first month's free. We have a Zen Talk this Wednesday at 1 p.m., and um, I want to thank our two new Z- uh, Team Zen members, Stephanie from Houston and Vanessa from Connecticut. Welcome to the team, and we hope you like it. If you want to get your name read on Zen Parenting Podcast, <laughs> you'll join Team Zen just for a month. Try it out. If you don't like it, you can cancel it anytime. All right. Um, I had another hot take, but it's not worth it. What is it about? Uh, it was just about Canada. Canada. Oh. Last month, the country launched a new initiative, P-A-R-X. Okay that allows doctors to give their patients a new kind of prescription, a free annual pass to national parks. Yeah. For those who also struggle with reading their doctor's handwritings, the general scripts recommend spending two hours a week outdoors. I just want to highlight the fact that I think that that's a cool thing. I, I love the outside. Outside's awesome. Let's let's chalk one up for the outside. Trees. Um, and then there's one other thing I wanted to share. Oh, um, there is... Uh, National Eating Disorders Awareness Week is this week. Did you know ah, that, sweetheart? I did not know that. So there is an organization that I'll put in the show notes called the NEDA, which is the National Eating Disorders Association. So I just want to highlight uh, that because there's no, there's a lot of parents out there that uh, have struggled and gone through that with their kids. So. Actually, personally and with their children, yes. because that's the thing we have to remember. I, those of you who listen to Glennon's podcast, you know that last week she did two podcasts about her uh, eating disorder. She's always talked about it very openly and that it's not something she's ever felt that she's gotten her arms around, but she, in her own words, said, I relapsed. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's, it's something that can be uncomfortable to talk about even for us as adults, but our children are dealing with it at, at, at higher levels yeah. than even our generation. So it's just good information to have. Um, and it's very, you know, something that Todd and I, um, you know, want to spread the word about. So back on January 5th of 2011, you and I posted a podcast. December called, or January? It says January, January 5th. Okay, January 5th. It's the best four-letter word in parenting. What is the four-letter word? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it, yeah, I don't even understand why we titled it that. Um, this is the description. So it isn't exactly four letters, but the way some of our elders react, it might be considered, oh, selfish. So we're, we're playing the, we're talking about the difference between being selfish and doing self-care. I think our produce, we, Todd and I used to, now Todd and I produce ourselves and the show is ours. We started doing that after our second or third year, but we used to have a producer. We did. And he would sometimes title them and yeah, cut them to, for us. Right. Um, so are you ready for the very beginning oh, of the very first show? I think show? so. Go. Here we go. 
Welcome to Zen Parenting Radio. My name is Todd Adams. So let's stop there. Okay, it sounds awful. There's no music. Okay, the sound quality is bad. Sounds, and you and I are huddled up around a snowball microphone. So yes. Now we have kind of more of a studio. And we were a little bit. We have, we really do have a studio. Yeah. Like we literally built a studio. Yeah. Um, but we also were in the library. Yeah. Um, I think we did it at the, in our house first oh, and then did. eventually moved over to the library. Okay, go ahead. Um, so here, so we're back, back, here we go. And this is Kathy Adams. Uh, so excited that everybody tuned in to join us. We are going to be talking about self-care and selfish parenting today. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah, well, I, I will probably for most of the show refer to it as self-care because I actually don't like the term selfish parenting. Hopefully it got your attention and maybe that's why you're listening. But I think when people hear the word selfish, they think of it as a really negative thing. And I Okay, so stop there. Yeah, kind of sounds like us. It's So you're already like... You're the exact same. <laughs> like you don't want to communicate the wrong thing or the way it makes you feel, you know, to call it a four letter selfish parenting. You're like, you're trying to make it yours. Well, because our producer at mm -hmm. the time, they, um, his show that he did with his wife, they had more of a combative yeah. kind of like back and forth. Mm -hmm. And he thought maybe we should do that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to. And I also didn't want to talk about clickbaity stuff. Mm -hmm. I was very like, uh, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say I was difficult to work with, but I wasn't mm -hmm. kind of on the bandwagon. Sure. Um, and I didn't like the title of the first show, yeah. but he wanted us to call it that. Yes. So. Um, should we keep going or? I don't I mean, know. We do, we like just, what else? I don't know. Let's just a little bit more. Okay. Let's just see what happens. Um, where are you? Here you are. I don't want to start off on a negative, um, but really, hopefully, what we're going to do in this discussion is redefine what selfish means. And in the radio business, that's called a teaser. <laughs> we're teasing you with the selfish word, even though. All right, so I'm already um, bored. You already call it, you called it radio. See, what yeah. people don't understand is nobody knew what a podcast was. Yeah. We thought we had, we knew it was called a podcast, but we assumed it was radio, which is why the, our show is called Zen Parenting Radio. Yeah, people had a hard time understanding in their early days how to listen. Correct. They're like, so it's on the radio? No, it's on the internet. Well, how do you listen to something on the internet? Well, you go to our webpage. Like, we, I don't. I don't think there was no podcast app no. on our phones. No. Mm -mm. So there how wasn't. would people listen? Our website. And oh so listen God. to this. So this is another thing that I remember from that time. I used to uh, do WGN interviews a lot. It's a, a radio station in Chicago. And they were just very like short interviews on the Bill Mahler show. And But it kind of became a regular thing. And I remember WGN, they started talking about, you know, these podcasts. They weren't, even WGN wasn't doing podcasts yet. But they're like, these podcasts, if they're good, we might make them like radio shows. Mm -hmm. So I had an intention, or I thought I did, of you and I could do a good podcast and then a radio would buy us. Right. Isn't and, that funny? And it didn't quite work out that no, way. No, no radios bought us. Um, but we... That that's how old this is. Is like we were trying to. And how old were our kids at this time? Let's see. So eleven years ago, JC's eighteen, so she was seven, mm -hmm. and that means that Cameron was five and Skyler was two or three. Yeah, depending on what month. Do you have any advice for the person that was about to start that podcast eleven years ago, sweetie? Uh, let's Either you see. or me, or would they be telling us anything? 
Um, I don't think they'd be telling us anything. Well, what I know for sure is that the discussion you and I had all the time, and this was probably in the second or third year, Mm -hmm. maybe not in the first year because we were just getting our bearings, were that I didn't want to have Zen Parenting Radio, the podcast, be the way that we thought we needed to make money. Mm -hmm. So I think, and what I meant by that is I think uh, it was around that time that I read a lot of Liz Gilbert's work and she eventually made it into Big Magic. But she's like, the things that you love, the creative endeavors that you love, don't choke them by trying to make them the way you make money. So you and I made a commitment that you obviously have always had your full-time job as a salesman. I was going to continue teaching. Um, you know, you were, you didn't, you didn't even know you were going to do a men's group then that was so long ago, but we were going to keep doing the work we were doing and that Zen parenting was going to be for enjoyment, which it's main, it stayed that way. Now there's advertisers. Um, every now and again, we get Jeremy Kraft, but most of the time it's simply, it's because it's something Kathy and I like to do now. Yes, we do promote some of our own stuff. So we use it as a platform to talk about Kathy's book or my men's group or whatever. But even if we didn't do that, like we just like coming down here, having these discussions. (laughs) Well, and on that note, since you're talking about promoting things tonight, this comes out on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I have a talk at the library where we used to record the podcast, um, Elmhurst public library. And it is, you can come in person, um, it's like for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. Or you can connect virtually. So if you don't live here, you can watch the talk and you can ask questions and stuff. Um, but that's kind of another decision that we made. We were like, you know, let's do that. It's not about let's just promote our own stuff all the time. Cause sometimes we don't have anything to promote, but let's not promise a bunch of things to other people mm-hmm. where we start to lose a grip on what we want to do. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people, and this happens all the time. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't think it's wrong that people reach out to us and say, "Hey, can I be on your show?" We get like ten emails a day about that. There's nothing wrong with doing that because sometimes we have people on, but that's not really what our format is. We're mm-hmm. not really an interview format. Yeah. Um, we, Todd and I, like to have a conversation, and sometimes you know, do pop culture and quotes and movies, and then sometimes we have friends who come on the show. But that, I think, even early on, we were like. Do you, I don't remember. Well, I, I remember not having the ability. Like there was no Zoom. Like it, the only way to have an interview. We had Skype, didn't we? Uh, yeah, but I didn't have, we didn't even have yeah, we a didn't mixer. Have this mixer yeah. We didn't have anything. Yeah, or we'd have to have somebody come. You know who we started having on? We had on our friends. Like remember Jer was mm-hmm. on and he played mm-hmm. the guitar mm-hmm. and we had on... I remember sitting at the table upstairs. Dr. Kelly was Dr. on. Dr. Kelly. And I think that's the first time we had... Like, our first guest was Johnny Emmerman. From That's Emmerman right. Angels. That's right. So yeah. Yeah. So it's just been evolving. But um I what I wanted to discuss was why and, and we're kind of discussing that, but where it all began, like why did why were you willing to do a show with me? So if you can take yourself back, like these these people asked I had written a book called The Self-Aware Parent, self-published book in 2009, and I was doing an interview. And the people that I was talking to, they said, you should do a podcast Mm -hmm. and you should ask someone to do it with you because if you don't have a counterpart, it can get like boring and it can get boring. And so I said, okay, my husband will do it. And then, but I hadn't really asked you, but then I came upstairs and said, I just signed you up for something. 
And but you were like, okay. I was a little scared. A part of me was like, is my boss going to get mad because I'm doing something else other Different than work. working for him? Mm -hmm. But you and I started, I think, doing presentations in the community before that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my way, like, well, maybe I have something to share. And it was like about the love languages or whatever. Uh, but then you asked. I, I don't think I was terribly excited to do it. Uh, but then once we get started, I'm like, this is kind of fun. Yeah. And because I think that you and I have very interesting conversations. <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's not, it's not surfacey. It's not boring. You may disagree with this and I'm totally fine with that, but I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of authentic uh, conversations and that's what you and I tend to have. So we're like, well, and I don't even know who listened to us back then. I'm sure our first friends. podcast, it was friends and family. Yeah. And then slowly people started like, oh my God, we don't even know this person. And they gave us a review. Like how did totally. that Totally. Yeah. Or someone, I remember around Chicagoland, people would say, like friends of mine would be like, I talked to someone and they listened to your mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Like there was a, um, it, it kind of just started connecting with people in Chicagoland. And I was writing for Chicago Parent at the time. Yeah. So they were, I think, promoting it a little bit too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was fun. And, and it was an opportunity. What it became in my my perspective is that Todd and I used to kind of hang out in the kitchen all the time and talk and the girls would get annoyed because we never ran out of things to talk about. And I just kind of felt like it became an opportunity for us to always make sure we have those conversations. I don't think we needed the nudge, mm -hmm. you know, like I think we would have no matter what, but sometimes we were... I think the conversations, kind of like what you said, they were diving into issues that I think everybody's dealing with mm -hmm. and that we were not, I think something that we're good at and, and we are, we're not always good at it. Obviously, when we're doing a show, we're aware we're doing a show. So you guys don't hear our more difficult disagreements or where Todd and I don't show up in the best way with each other. But I and think- And that was intentional. We decided to not- air all that stuff out in real time on a podcast, whereas a lot of other people do that. Yeah, I'm still not a fan of that because I, I, I kind of took Brene Brown's advice on this, that if you have something you haven't worked through, then don't allow it to be public consumption mm -hmm. because then no matter what people say about mm -hmm. it, you're going to feel really raw and affected. Whereas when we come down here, it's not that we've worked everything out, but the things I'm sharing, if someone disagreed, I'd be okay. Yeah. Whereas if I'm sharing something really difficult that I haven't worked out, mm -hmm. um, then, and if someone said something about it, it might really hurt me yeah. and I'm not willing to be resentful of someone for doing that. Cause I'm the one who brought it sure. to their attention. Yeah. You know, like that's not fair. That's not, a, that's not a healthy exchange. Right. Um, so yes, you're right. We decided to not do that. And we also had to make a decision cause we had really little kids and it was really kind of in vogue at the time to kind of rip on your kids a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of blogs out there about like, oh, you know, how bad, how your, bad kids your kids are. They suck. They're jerks. And it was very- Or your husband or your wife yeah, or your partner. A lot of blogging about that. Yeah. We just, we, we wanted to create a space that hopefully boosted you up. Right. Because uh, there's plenty of places for us to kind of get dragged down. It doesn't take very long to find something on the TV or on the radio where you feel terrible. Case in point, we're watching um, Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets right now. You want to feel like the world's <laughs> coming to a crashing end? Watch Yellow Jackets on Hulu. And that's not what I thought it was going to be. Like it is, it is well done. Mm -hmm. Like it's 
it's good and I like the people who are in it and the characters are interesting, but the tone. Yeah, it's just kind of like uh, a lot of people watch Ozark. I, I've watched a season and a half of Ozark, but I just felt tone. like crap after I watched it. So we, uh, you know, I don't think we're Pollyannish, but I think we want to be a space where we can laugh and love and sometimes cry. That's more you than me, sweetie. sweetie is that your new tagline? Yeah. We want to laugh. We want to love. love. We want to cry. That's probably in the cheesy category, what I just it, said. But you is. know what? I'm okay with being cheesy. I know, you're a little cheesy. Um, it's not easy being cheesy. Yeah. So let me finish that thought. So we, what we wanted to do, because Todd and I were... We were really good friends too. We were friends before we were together. And then when we weren't together, we we tried to be friends. And I just really liked Todd as a person. You know, we were good friends. So we our attempt on this podcast was to demonstrate, not in like a teachy way, mm-hmm. but like we don't always agree. Like our initial tagline was a logical and practical dad and an emotional and spiritual mom discuss parenting. Mm-hmm. And we were very different mm-hmm. in the our approaches. I, a lot of people have said when they've gone back and listened to their earlier episodes that you've changed the most, mm. that your perspective, you used to be a little more... Rigid. Rigid. Yeah. Logical. And, yeah. And that you've changed a lot. Um, and we probably should have pulled up some of those clips, you know, like to hear what you used to say. You, you were never in, you were never wrong though. It wasn't like you came around to my way. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that because mm-hmm. we still don't agree on it. Yeah. Everything. And that logical, um, person still lives inside of, of me. He's just not driving the bus as often as he used to. Right. And you don't always assume that you know everything and neither do I. Like I, over the last 11 years, there's been a lot of like humbling experiences. Care to name any of them? um, Probably one of the biggest ones for me was when, because I came from a psychiatric hospital, that's where I used to work. I used to work in like a partial hospitalization program at Lurie Children's Hospital. And I was so inundated with psychiatry Mm -hmm. where the focus was always on medication. And part of me deciding to kind of go in a different path was I was like, I just... I feel like there's got to be other ways, mm-hmm. you know, because I'd, I'd have five-year-olds and, you know, they'd be getting medication. And and so I kind of swung too far the other way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel about myself now is I swung really holistic, which I still am, very holistic, and I like to get a whole child approach to things. But I kind of was like, ah, you know, let's, let's, let's do everything else before we do meds. And then when I got really sick about five years ago, um, I got the flu and I got really sick and I couldn't sleep. And I had to use meds Mm -hmm. and I went through such a shame spiral with it. Like I was so ashamed because I like to walk the walk, right? Like I want to be like, but I got to that point where I was like, I don't see any other path. Mm -hmm. I'm literally not sleeping. And I was very sick and emotionally not all there and um, very volatile. Mm -hmm. Let me just say it that way. And so once I had that experience, I was like, God, why am I telling anyone about what they should do? Yeah. Like I really had, who am I to like tell anybody what they should do? Like, man, that was like, I kind of thought I was like that already, Mm -hmm. but you start to crack open even more. Like I always thought I was like, yeah, go your own way, Mm -hmm. do your own thing, try your own stuff. But I realized I still had a lot of ingrain from my own experiences, right? As a clinician, I was like, let's do all these other things instead. And we don't have to not do those things. But man, if you are in a hole and medication will help you, 
Yes. Yeah. You know, like that is, so I just had, that was really humbling for me. So for me, um, one humbling experience, and we didn't really share it on the podcast, whereas after you were done with the flu, you shared that piece. I did. Yeah. Uh, but for me, um, one of our daughters is struggling with something and I always, re- I remember, um, feeling like, oh, I, I should have picked up her struggles earlier than I did. And in the the earlier version of me as a parent, when I heard my friends were struggling with their parent, with their kids, I would always say I would love them and support them, but at the same time be very judgmental, like, oh, that would never happen to me. Internally. Internally. Yeah. That would never happen to me. And then one of my daughters was really struggling with something and I'm like, it was just a very, as a reality check. Yeah. And it was very humbling. Very humbling. Yeah. And, um, you know, we haven't shared it because it's not our story to share. It's one well, of our daughters. And but. honestly, all of our girls have had their own sure. struggles. They've gone from, they are, you know, like I said, I have a daughter who's going to be 19 next month. I mm-hmm. have a 17-year-old and I have a 14-year-old. So to say like, oh, no, every, everything's been great along the way. Every Our kids have their own stories. Yeah. My niece and nephew have their own stories. Todd and I have our own, their own, you know, we have our own stories. All of, you can't get through life. Yeah and not have big challenges and challenges do not mean that you did something wrong mm-hmm. because like one thing that I'm really working on in my own therapy is that and I and I say this to people but sometimes it's hard for me to integrate is you're not supposed to be okay all the time and again everyone who's hurt I've said this for 11 years yeah. but sometimes in my own body I'm like I just want everything to be fine mm-hmm. and so I'm not accepting what I'm teaching right because when someone else is like well I'm just feeling sad or like I'm like yeah that's how like I know that but then when one of my girls is struggling or when you know I'm struggling with something going on with my mom or I'm feeling heavy I'm like oh I don't I don't want to yeah, do there's this. A, there's an inherent resistance, a resistance. to the yeah. reality of where we are. Like yeah. I just said to you in the car today, accept the isness yeah. of the situation. That's a mouthful. Like think about how hard it is to accept the isness of us being, me being depressed or my child having friend problems or my dad being sick. Like just accept the isness, like screw the isness. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we work really hard to keep it from being that way. And we get hit kicked in the stomach every time we hear something new that our kid is going through. And I think one thing that's really helpful to me, even though it's not fully integrated, is expect these things. Not because life is awful and and someone's hurting you, but you can't stay in fine all the time. And I I feel grateful for the fine. I feel grateful for the great. Mm -hmm. I feel grateful for the amazing moments. But you can't, the only way that you know you're having amazing moments is that you've had non-amazing moments. And I know this, I'm 50 years old. Mm -hmm. Like I've known this, but sometimes it, again, as we always say on the show, it shows up differently. You think, oh, I've got this lesson. Like one of the things, the biggest teachings that we've gotten feedback about um, or things that people have learned is that Todd and I, it's been 11 years, we often talk about the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like we'll talk about like, well, Todd said this or I did this and and we had to go through it. And it's so repetitious. It's repetitive. And the emails we've gotten from people are like, thank you for saying that sometimes you're still dealing with the same issue over years and years and years. Because I think what people think is that you have a problem, you talk about it and it should be gone. And oftentimes at the root of that challenge is something 
that is bigger mm -hmm. and that you can keep trying to, to get to the root of it. But sometimes that might just be part of our makeup. Yeah. It might be my trauma response. It might be your fear. It might, And so that is often the first place we go is to this place of disagreement or frustration. Yeah. Um, I, we're about to play your, um, your clip, yes. your audio book here in a minute or two, but I have two questions that I think um, some people might want to know about the podcast. Um, so in as concise of a way as you can, uh -huh. I'm going to ask the question on behalf of the listener. How do we decide what to talk about every Tuesday? You say on Tuesday, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I mean, sometimes a few days before that, you and I will read an article or watch a movie or have a conversation where we're like, let's do this next yeah. week. And we have to email ourselves or else we forget yeah. because life goes on. But most of the time we decide that morning. That morning, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second question is, how long do you think we'll do this for? I don't know. I don't know. Like, are we going to do Zen Grandparenting Radio? Yeah. Zen Grandparenting. Yeah. But see, hopefully that's kind of far away. Like, JC's 19. Right. And I hope so, too. Yeah. But it's possible. Well, maybe it'll evolve into something else. Maybe we'll be like little, we'll have a virtual reality game mm -hmm. and we'll be like people in the virtual reality. I just had my first friend who's my age become a grandparent. Yeah, I have a few Now friends. it's with a stepdaughter. Right. But it doesn't matter. Like it's effed up that, effed up. <laughs> that one of my friends is a grandparent. I know. Because I think he's a year or two younger than me. Yeah. I'm like, what? What? How'd that happen? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, and we, we had, I had my first baby, um, when I was 31, mm. I got married when I was 30. So in no means is that late or I, I have nothing, but that was just what we did. Yeah. But some people have their babies early. Sure. So then you they can be 40 years early. old. If you have a kid when you're 20 and that kid sure. has a baby when they're 20, your yeah. grandpa, when you're 40. Correct. So it's just weird how this whole thing fits together. Sweetie, that was good math. Isn't it? That was really good math. I'm an awesome math person. Um, before you launch into this, yes. the thing that I think you know people listening to the audiobook will pick up on is that um, no surprise, the my one of my first awarenesses about what kind of parent I wanted to be way before I was a parent or even married to Todd was watching uh, a Madonna um interview. It was actually on Oprah. And I talk about this in this clip you're going to listen to, but I kind of go fast through it. So, um, it was, she was promoting Ray of Light. Um, she had just had Lourdes and she was talking about how before she, she hadn't thought about what her belief system was. She was raised Catholic. She had started getting into Kabbalah and she was just kind of trying to figure out who she kept saying, I need to know who I am if I want to teach my daughter something. Mm -hmm. And I was just having pew, 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 you know, those like yeah. where everything's firing in your brain. Like I wasn't even close to being a parent yet, yeah. but I was like, yes, mm -hmm. how do you teach your child something if you don't know what you believe? Yeah. Like it was like the very beginning of this kind of thinking. And I always call in the book, I call it my ray of light moment. So enjoy this 12 minute clip from the prologue of Zen Parenting yeah. Radio, the book, and how would somebody buy this if they wanted to buy the audio? Well, it's on Audible. Is Audible the only way to buy audiobooks now? I don't know. I know that, I think you can go to Audible, but you can also go to Amazon. Yeah, they're connected, or I think Amazon bought Audible. It's available everywhere, and I'm being told that my book is in bookstores in different states, which is crazy to me. I guess that's it's supposed to be how it works, but I really am enjoying that yeah. a lot. But anyway, the audiobook is available, and um, and if you want to continue listening after this prologue, um, there's many, many chapters after it. So enjoy the prologue, everybody. Where it all began. 
It was 1998, and I was watching Madonna talk about her just-released Ray of Light album. She said the songs were about her spiritual transformation, an evolution of her sound that gave her purpose and perspective about who she is and what she wanted to teach her daughter. I didn't have kids yet, and I wasn't married, but I nodded my head as if I heard something I already knew. We have to know ourselves if we want to live and parent effectively. We can't share what we haven't realized or practiced. I might have known this intuitively, or maybe all of the self-help books had begun to seep in. I read my first Wayne Dyer book in my late teens, and from then on, I had a gravitational pull to the self-help and positive psychology aisle. But at best, I was using the information as a quick fix, and at worst, I was acquiring spiritual knowledge to feel special. It was only a surface experience with consciousness and universal principles. I liked the way it felt and sounded, but I wasn't living what I knew. And then a series of life-changing events, including my father's heart attack and chronic illness, getting married, and eventually having my first child, pushed me into deep discomfort. What had always worked was no longer working, and this led to an identity crisis and a heightened sense of imposter syndrome. I felt increasingly depressed and anxious, so much so that I was willing to surrender everything for peace. It was my Madonna ray of light moment. I had to break down the structures I had relied on to discover a true way of being. Some refer to this as the dark night of the soul, but unfortunately, it extends beyond one night. It's a deep dive into a new way of seeing things when the old ways no longer work, a reevaluation of what's most important. At the time, I called it a personal reckoning, a reconciliation of pain that had been denied or repressed, and an unlearning of things that no longer worked. The best way I can describe the first couple of years of this process is yikes. The unexamined life felt like a much easier path, and I often question what the hell I was doing. Confronting the truth about anything can be painful and difficult, and I constantly wondered if the road less traveled was worth it. But with pain and unlearning also came clarity of choices and a focus on what really matters. Life felt like more about finding my own contentment rather than satisfying other people's expectations. I said no to what didn't work. I said yes to what I knew I wanted. I started to feel more comfortable in my skin and connected to what was happening around me. My sole intention was to continuously locate the person I was before the world told me to be something different. I remember at one point fully comprehending that we live on a ball floating in space surrounded by two trillion galaxies and that maybe the things that seemed so overwhelming weren't that important. It literally made me shake my head and laugh out loud, like I was finding my way back to the bigger picture. Being a part of it all blew my mind, and Rumi's quote, you are the universe in ecstatic motion, made sense in a new way. I was suddenly in awe that babies grew in our bodies and needed no help in doing so, that caterpillars became goo and then turned into butterflies, that salmon used their sense of smell to swim upstream. Things that had seemed so common now felt extraordinary, like life had a natural rhythm and sense of purpose. It became obvious that I needed to make peace with the mortality of my dad and just death overall. Death is what all living things have in common, yet we are so uncomfortable talking about it. As author and Zen Hospice founder Frank Ostaseski said, death is not waiting for us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us, in the marrow of every passing moment. 
She is the secret teacher hiding in plain sight, helping us to discover what matters most. Death awareness leads to appreciating life's preciousness, encouraging us to be braver and more attentive with our lives. The more I got this, the more I enjoyed staring out windows rather than at my computer screen. I took some risks talking, writing, and teaching what I was learning, and I made some mistakes along the way. I remember one of my teachers saying, keep making mistakes, because if there are no more mistakes, you are done. And I don't mean done with that thing, I mean done, done. It felt like permission to go all in with less worry, like raising my hand to ask a question rather than pretending I understood. But since there are light and dark to everything, old beliefs still lurked in my brain like old ghosts that knew only how to be scary. They would frighten me into thinking that if I continued to unlearn or grew in self-awareness, I might end up leaving my family and living as a monk on a mountaintop. This was a real concern that kept me up at night, a feeling that I was choosing myself over others, that I was selfish or losing touch with the real world. I later learned that a lot of women feel this way as they awaken to themselves. It's as if we feel the collective unconsciousness of all women, the historical reality that women were confronted with the terror and risk of evolving beyond their societal conditioning, not because of weakness or a lack of desire, but because of the threat of societal isolation, retribution, or death. Evolving today may not carry the same risks as our ancestors, but it's still a level of awareness that all women must move through, a realization that awake women disturb the system and that this disruption is a threat to our conditioned self and society as a whole. Something needs to die for something new to come to life. But once we hear, feel, or however we experience it, the call to evolve, it can be difficult or almost impossible to turn down its volume. Trying to stay asleep, and believe me, I tried, made me physically and emotionally ill, and I no longer had the choice to push it away. I felt compelled by something larger than myself, leaving me terrified and relieved at the same time. As Sue Monk Kidd says in The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, there is no place so awake and alive as the edge of becoming. But more than that, birthing the kind of woman who can authentically say, my soul is my own, and then embody it in her life, her spirituality, and her community is worth the risk and hardship. I continued to learn and grow, but the terror stuck around, telling me I would change and become unrecognizable to myself and the ones I love. But in many ways, the result was quite the opposite. I did have to grieve some relationships and work experiences that no longer fit with my new understanding, but I also had more energy to show up for my family. Taking responsibility for myself let the people I loved off the hook. It was no longer their responsibility to fill me up, and I no longer felt like I was in charge of their becoming. I experienced the paradox of loving them better by backing away, by living my life so they could have their own. I set myself free from needing their constant appreciation and then felt more appreciated. I ditched the role of mom and became a person who also happened to be a mom, which allowed me to approach my kids with humanness rather than hierarchy. I got out of the box that told me who I was supposed to be and showed up as myself, allowing me to show up more authentically for my family. Self-awareness is an internal process, like shining a bright flashlight on all the hidden places of the mind. This ability to see clearly allows us to know ourselves and appreciate who we are, allowing us to choose rather than react and trust rather than live in a constant state of anxiety. Shit still happens, but the lag time of feeling fear and pain gets shorter, while the ability to return to center or ask for help speeds up.
If we can role model and teach our kids how to see themselves clearly from the very beginning, the flashlight won't be as needed because they'll already have a working light switch. They can naturally check in with their emotions and appreciate why they have them. They can use tools to self-regulate rather than spiral into a tantrum. They can appreciate the uniqueness of their minds and hearts and live in a place of self-acceptance rather than shame. Education and outward achievement are pieces of the good life puzzle, but true contentment comes from a healthy internal life. Study after study has proven that emotional intelligence, defined as the ability to recognize, understand, and manage our own emotions, and recognize, understand, and influence the emotions of others, predicts future success in relationships, health, and quality of life, and that children with high EQ earn better grades, stay in school longer, and make healthier choices overall. Instead of forcing kids into what we perceive to be the norm, we can teach them to respect their uniqueness and practice self-compassion during difficult times. We can remind them that they are hardwired for challenges and that even failure will lead to greater strength and resilience. We can encourage them to love their time here, to show up as themselves and take advantage of their moments. If we want our kids to really get this, we must do it first. Instead of lecturing them about self-acceptance, we need to demonstrate what it looks like. Instead of telling them to ask for help or for what they need, we need to show them how it's done. Children do not learn by listening to what we say. They learn by watching how we live. This audiobook is about having your Madonna Ray of Light moment, about practicing self-awareness to gain clarity about what you want to pass on. It's about taking inventory of how you were parented and figuring out what stays and what goes. This is a needed evolutionary process that is essential for every generation because the world and level of awareness are constantly changing. Some traditions and expectations will remain timeless, but other teachings or expectations may no longer fit. If your children have children, they will hopefully go through the same exercise of filtering through what works and what doesn't for their family. This is also an opportunity to introduce yourself to your kids to be your true self as a parent rather than play the role of parent, to support your kids without completely forgetting who you are or choosing martyrdom and then wearing it like a badge of honor. Martyrdom hurts you and eventually your family because it leads to your resenting them for what you do. You build a relationship with your kids over time, and it's important to establish a sturdy foundation built on personal responsibility and practicing what you preach. Sitting on the sidelines of life and then yelling at our kids about how they should participate isn't fair and will inevitably lead to tension and disconnection. Instead, we get to demonstrate self-understanding and self-compassion. We get to recognize our mistakes and apologize when necessary. We get to notice and accept our emotions and trust that they will naturally come and go. We get to be joy seekers and expand our awareness so we can see the big picture and interconnectedness of all things. Then our kids will know how to be awed by the world and feel at home in their skin, wherever they may go. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.